John chapter 5, if you want to flip there, if you're not there already. Looking at Jesus' discourse to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem the day he healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, uh, healing this man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. The text says that even Jesus knew that it had been a long time that this man had been paralyzed, that there was a desperate case in front of him, and he healed this man. And, and even more than the healing of his legs, there was the healing of his soul that was needed, as later on Jesus found this man in the temple and said, hey, you know, turn away from sin unless something worse than paralysis would happen to you. Uh, a great drama unfolded that day. The healing took place because Jesus had told this uh, now healed man to pick up his mat and walk. And uh, he got busted by the religious leaders for working on the Sabbath by carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. And, uh, and that was bad enough that this man would do it, but that Jesus would tell him to do it was even worse. And so Jesus is going to be accused by the uh, Pharisees of breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus will then go into a number of verses to say that He's not breaking the Sabbath because he's God. He's always working. The Father's always been working, and the Son has always been working. And so the Jews sought to kill Jesus from that point on because not only he broke the Sabbath, but because he claimed to be God. And so this is just a number of verses here that are just clear-cut evidence that Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is not just you know a loving human that's gone before us. He's not a, you know, a sage or a wise guy. Uh, he's not even just a prophet. He is actually the son of God, which is synonymous with being God himself. And so for uh, three weeks, we've looked at uh, the authority that Jesus claims in being equal with the father in power, in authority, in judgment, uh, in, in being a judge and in being able to give life to the dead. And so it's, it's important as we're going through this chapter, you're going to be hearing it again and again through the book of John, uh, that Jesus is God. That's the theme, that's the point of this book. And you know what? We can't spend enough time digging in and getting our roots going deep in this doctrine of the deity of Jesus, that he is God. Um, it, it's, there's so much that flows from that in our belief system and right belief leads to right behavior. It all flows from a knowledge of who Jesus is. But this chapter tells us that because Jesus is God, he has authority in so many different ways. And what that ought to do to us is cause us to bow our knees before the authority of Jesus and bow our hearts before his Authority, And maybe you come here today and you're a self-made man. You're your own man. You know, you march to the beat of your own drum. And I would just ask you, and that goes for the women as well. Uh, I would just ask you to maybe before this sermon really gets rocking and rolling to just say, okay, Lord, I, I kind of like being my own authority, but if this is true and already I'm hearing that you're the son of God, you are God, you have authority, you will judge the world in righteousness, you give life to the dead, and, and I'm supposed to 
surrender to that authority. Right now, I can tell you, there's a hard heart here. There's a rock that doesn't want to do that. And so just ask the Lord, Lord, would you even in this sermon soften my heart? Soften my heart to be able to yield and to want to yield to your authority. You guys ever seen that brand of hot dogs called Hebrew National Hot dogs, you know, I mean, that's a kind of interesting. I mean, I'm interested in hot dogs all the time. I love me a hot dog. I don't care if it's chicken beaks and lips and whatever else that they've got. Apparently those are tasty, you know, but uh, the Hebrew national hot dog is made from 100% kosher beef inspected by a rabbi. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? Like a hot dog inspected by a rabbi. Shabbat Shalom. Okay. But on the hot dog package, right under those big yellow letters of Hebrew National, is their slogan, We Answer to a Higher Authority. And that's so true. And you wish that the Jewish hot dog vendors in chapter 5 here would have humbled themselves before their God, so that they would realize, this man, Jesus, has great authority, and we will answer to that authority. C.S. Lewis was writing to to a dear friend who had rejected Christ and embraced atheism. And he wrote, If Christ was not God, then who or what was he? The doctrine of Christ's divinity seems to me not something stuck on, but something that peeps out at every point of the New Testament. So that you have to unravel the whole web to get rid of it. And if you take away the Godhead of Christ, what is Christianity all about? And the answer to C.S. Lewis's question is a resounding nothing. Christianity has nothing if Jesus isn't God. And it was Lewis who said also that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic Or he's got to be Lord. Because all the claims that he made to be God, I mean, I don't know how many people you know in your life that are like, hey, I'm God, you know? And you're like, you know? Um, Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over here, all right? Only strange people bust that out at your first dinner with them, okay? Uh, And so, you know, here he is. He says, I'm God, but I'm going to rise from the dead to prove it. And there's great evidence that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so he's either Lord because of the things that he's claimed and the evidence of the resurrection, or he's a liar. He he made a lot of claims. Or he's just a crazy guy. He's a lunatic. He's a charlatan. He's a madman. Okay? And so this is an important doctrine. And and everything that Jesus says has got to be true. He's got to be Lord, or we can find better ways to occupy our time. Now, verse 24 is where we're at today in John chapter 5. We're kind of hopping in the middle of this thought that's, of course, taken us three weeks already to get through. But Jesus says to these Jewish leaders, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We touched on this verse Last week, but Jesus talks about that important process of hearing the word of God. So today, even you are here today. You are hearing the word of God, 
which Jesus says are my words. He makes it personal. I'm God. And when you read the word of God, when you hear the word of God, you're hearing from me. And so you've got to hear and you've got to believe. All right. When you hear in Romans 10, we talked about it last week, gives us kind of this step-by-step process of whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on the name of the Lord if they've never heard of the name of the Lord, right? And how will they hear the name of the Lord if no one goes out preaching the word of the Lord? And how will anyone go out if they're not sent out? And so there's this great process of Christians going out as missionaries and telling people so that they could believe. They could hear the word and they can believe the word. And when they do, they have this everlasting, never-ending, eternal life. And in that life, they're not going to come into this condemnation form of judgment. They won't be at the great white throne judgment that we read about in Revelation chapter 20, where anyone who's rejected the name of Jesus is judged in their immorality and cast into the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever, their torment ascending forever and ever. If you believe in the name of Jesus, you've got eternal life. You won't come to that place of judgment, and you've already past, uh, even today, from this place of being dead spiritually to being made alive. That's the end of verse 24. You have passed from death to life. And so Jesus, and the reason we started in verse 24 today instead of a little later on, like in verse 25, uh, is because it's important to know that when we believe in Jesus, there's life everlasting life in the middle of verse 24 at the end of verse 24 passing from death to life 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 choose life today jesus is the one who brings life and that brings us into verse 25 most assuredly i say to you the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of god And those who hear will live. This is such an incredible um, passage, you guys. I love this section of John chapter 5. I almost feel like as I was studying it, like, oh, I'm not like getting to just, you know, have you ever just drank like just cold water on a hot sunny day and you're just enjoying it? You're like, I just want to enjoy this verse with you guys. I just want to just let it just, you know, just sit there for a little while so we can... Um, relish it this truth that jesus transforms dead sinners into living sons those who put their faith in the words that christ speaks have a veritable day of resurrection dawning currently in their life and will dawn future in their life Now, a couple weeks ago, we referenced C.S. Lewis when he said, if I were making up a religion, I wouldn't have this. If I were making up a religion, I wouldn't make it hard, Lewis said. I'd make it easy. And there's things in Christianity that are hard. They're hard to explain. They're hard to understand. And that's something that actually validates it, is it's not just easy peasy. There's Tough stuff to like dig into and understand in knowing who God is in our studying of God. And so C.S. Lewis may look at something like this who's saying, the hour is coming when the dead 
will hear his voice and will live. In just a little bit, look at verse 28, if you'll just hop down a little bit. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So within Christianity, we have a doctrine called the resurrection. And it's not just the resurrection of Jesus. It stems from the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was the first one to resurrect in this way. And then there's the doctrine of the resurrection that everybody's going to resurrect from the dead. Okay, so isn't this a fun thing to just share with your friends at the lunch table in the break room at work? They don't know this, just so you know. Most people, even most Christians, don't have a working theology of the resurrection. They don't have a full or biblical theology of the resurrection. And so, we are getting into it today. The hour is coming, back in verse 25, and now is. There's a realized eschatology right now in our lives when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And so you just kind of picture, you know, someone in a casket. Hmm? Okay? Dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, or Jesus. Okay? So this is all part of Jesus explaining to the Jews why he has authority. Or something that shows he has authority. That he's going to resurrect the dead. You know, this is something that Steven Spielberg hasn't even been able to really put into movie form yet, you know, or M. Night Shyamalan or whatever, you know, in the sixth sense. When you look at the resurrection and the transformation of bodies and the new bodies that are given, this is something that Hollywood hasn't quite, you know, their version of the resurrection dead is something like The Walking Dead. It's zombies and it's like, oh, the resurrection, you know, like, but they don't understand a biblical eschatology of the resurrection or understanding of the resurrection is for christians we're going to be resurrected from the grave and be given a new and glorified body and so we're going to get into that as we go back to like verse 28 but we're in verse 26 for now as the father has life in himself so he's granted the son to have life in himself okay so jesus has been making this case that i'm equal with God the Father in authority and in power and and here it is again as the Father has life in himself and a couple weeks ago we looked at just the Jews understood that God was the giver of life they knew that so Jesus is t- is is a, has an apologetic with them that just like the Father has life so he's granted the Son to have life in himself so jesus has a prerogative to give life because he has life in himself in him was life we studied in john chapter one that that's one of my signs um when we go out on the street for signs of life i I made a little neon green sign with my middle school abilities of making block letters And it says, Jesus is life. And then it quotes from John chapter 1. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus is life. And so he has the prerogative to give 
life. Back in John chapter, uh, rather it's 1 John, an epistle of John, chapter 1 verse 2. It says, eternal life which was with the Father was manifested to us through the Son is what John is getting at there. So part of the authority of Jesus is this authority to resurrect. It's this authority to give life. And verse 27 of our text today says, And the Father has given him authority to execute judgment also because he's the Son of Man. So as we're going through this text today, there's a little bit of blending of topics, if you will. Uh, Last week we looked at Jesus is equal with God in his authority to judge the world. Okay, We live in a day and age where people don't like the idea of God judging wicked sinners. Judging sin and judging sinners. We don't, we don't like that. The world doesn't like that. Many churches don't like that. But it is a truth that we must bow ourselves before. We let the word shape our understanding. And God is going to judge the world through his son, Jesus. Okay? Um, and so you might have been like, whew, glad we're done with that topic of judgment. And we can get into like resurrecting the dead. But there's a little blending here because he goes back to it and says... The Father's given the Son authority to execute judgment also because he's the Son of Man. Now, so far in this discourse of Jesus, every time he's been talking about being the Son, he's been talking about being the Son of God. But here is also a New Testament phrase that Jesus uses to call himself, and that is the Son of Man. He's the Son of God, and he's the Son of Man. He's fully God and fully man, or is probably the better way to put it is he is truly God and truly man. He's the God man, Jesus Christ. God, the son came to earth, draped in flesh, clothed in flesh. The Godhead see hail the incarnate deity, right? You know, we sing that at Christmas time. Not yet. Thanksgiving hasn't even happened yet. We better not hear it yet. Okay. Yeah, praise God. Okay. But here he says, he's telling the Jews, not only am I the son of God, but I'm also the son of man. Now, they knew what that meant. Now, earlier on in our text, they wanted to kill Jesus because he said he was the son of God. That meant he was God. They knew it. They wanted to kill him for it. Here he says, I'm the son of man. Anyone who knows the book of Daniel knows what the son of man is. Let's look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through about 14. Daniel has this vision of the throne room of heaven, and it says, I watched till, uh, rather, um, yeah, the throne room of heaven. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Now we're just going to hop to verse 13. Daniel seven thirteen. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. So this is a crazy heavenly picture we have. The Ancient of Days being the Father. The Son of Man being the Son, uh, Jesus. And he came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion or power 
and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So Daniel chapter 7 is this vision. It's eschatological and has great end times impact. Uh, But Jesus would speak often about him being the fulfillment of this passage. He will be the one that God the Father gives an earthly kingdom. He will reign over every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. And he is known as the Son of Man. Now, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man here to show that he is qualified to be the judge of human beings because he himself was a human being. All right? The book of Hebrews is all about Jesus being better than anything the Jewish religion looks to. Okay? And and Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Jewish religion looks to. In chapter 1, Jesus is better than angels because he created the angels. Okay? The the Jews loved angels, you know? And, And the author says, don't go back to Judaism. Don't go away from Jesus. Don't go back to a system of worshiping angels. Uh, because you know what? Worship Jesus. He made the angels. And then in chapter 2 of Hebrews, the author says, don't go back to any system of honoring and reverencing angels because Jesus is better than the angels because he became a man. And, and he knows things in an intimate way in your life. He's experienced it in a way that no angel has ever experienced. And so he's God, Hebrews chapter 1, better than the angels, and man, chapter 2 of Hebrews, because no angel knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. No angel knows what it's like to hunger and thirst. No angel knows what it's like to be murdered, you know. Uh, and, And so we have Jesus is better. And here we see it as well. He can... Uh, Not only be, uh, well, Hebrews would tell us that because he's an angel, because he's better than an angel, he's a ready help in time of need. Because he's a man, he can sympathize. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's he's suffered. He's had anguish. He's been discouraged. He's, He's been tempted in all points that we were, and yet he never sinned. And so because of that truth that he became a man, He's a ready help and a sympathetic high priest to us. But also because he's a man, it says here, Jesus tells us, he can judge men. He can judge men. He's one of us. He's shared in our experiences. And he's willingly denied the flesh and denied sin. Uh, Schlatter says, Jesus is the apocalyptic son of man who receives from the Ancient of Days the prerogative of deity, a kingdom that entails total dominion. At the same time, he belongs to humanity and has walked where humans walked. And so this qualifies him to be a judge. Okay, now we kind of hop back into this idea of the resurrection. Okay, back in verse 28. So I'm going to read it again. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And so just as Jesus said to the lame paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda, get up, 
so he will shout to those in the grave, get up, and they will. What authority is that? I mean, you might want to try it this afternoon. Drive on by Juniper Haven Cemetery and go to the first grave you see and point at it and say, get up, okay? I'm not saying that, you know, the Lord doesn't do awesome things and maybe wouldn't do something like that, but I might bet a little bit of money that (laughs) you're... Your afternoon's not going to be as exciting as you might think, okay? Um, Because Jesus has this authority to call to all of the dead, past, present, future, get up, and that's exactly what will happen. They will hear his voice, and they will rise. Every single corpse from all of human history will obey. I think it was R. Kent Hughes that said, a bugler could stand at the edge of a graveyard in play reveille, but nothing would happen. He could travel to the greatest of our national cemeteries where military men noted for their obedience throughout life lie buried. No matter how well or loudly he played, nothing would happen. Those dead men need a far greater authority to bring them to life. And what authority is the voice of Jesus Christ? So, You know, when you go there to Juniper Haven this afternoon, take your trumpet, you know, know, there's a lot of military uh, tombs over there too, but sorry, nothing's going to happen. I'm just telling you. All right. But Jesus one day will play the revelry. He will call out, come up, wake up, and they will hear that voice. There's an emphasis on realized eschatology in this immediate words of Jesus, but it doesn't rule out the future eschatology as well. Speaking of the resurrection of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, Revelation chapter 4, the resurrection of the saints. And we see that when these saints and sinners rise from the dead, those who have done good will go to the resurrection of life. Now this is not salvation based on works, but rather these are works that have flown out of people who were saved. Okay, Christianity tells us in the New Testament and the Old that those who believe on Jesus and have been born again will begin to live lives of righteousness. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us that it's by grace that we've been saved. Not of any of our works. It says by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of your works lest anyone should boast. It's not based on your pedigree or your degree. It's not based on if you're a boy scout, you know. It's not based on what party affiliation you are in the United States right now. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by the unmerited, unearned favor of God through Jesus Christ. But, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, this great grace passage says, that we are his workmanship. And I believe that word is poema in the Greek. We are his poem. We've been created, as it says, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Anyone who's saved by grace and realizes, man, I'm going to hell in a handbasket apart from Jesus, 
I, I am in desperate need of salvation outside of myself. I could never do it on my own. Oh, but Jesus has provided that for me. I say, amen, Jesus. Thank you for that. Put that into me. Put that into my life. I want your salvation. I want your grace upon me. And then he says to us, that's awesome because I've been writing a poem about you. You are my poema. You are my workmanship. I've been crafting a plan for your life that you could walk in it now. And that crafting that I've done isn't sexual immorality. That crafting that I've done isn't idolatry. That crafting that I isn't habitual bondage. The crafting that I've done is that you would love one another with all your heart. That you would love me with all your heart. That crafting that I've done that you would serve one another. Lay your life down for one another. You would pursue me. You would tell people about me. You would say no to sin. You would run from sin. Those who hear his voice and are righteous, they've done good because it's clear that they're saved and born again, they will go to the resurrection of life. Paradise. And as we studied in our Revelation study, but it's deep. This is all end time stuff, looking at the kingdom of heaven. We're not just talking about, you know, wings on our back. (laughs) You know, flying up to heaven with golden harps, like, man, read Randy Alcorn's book. He's like, I'm not sure how many people would want that heaven, okay? And that's not really the heaven that we see. Heaven is actually, are you ready for this? Heaven on earth. You read the book of Revelation, there's a new Jerusalem. God makes all things new. Here's a little bit of debate on whether he just like completely wipes out this earth and, and just like creates a new one, or whether he takes this one and makes it new, and applies the gospel to it, and renews it. A couple different camps on that in Christianity. One way or another, it will be earth, and it will be his kingdom come. And he will rule, and he will reign, and it will be better than anything your mind or your heart has ever imagined. And those who are resurrected, who have been born again, and have done lives of righteousness... That is their hope. They get to be with Jesus in paradise forever. But the truth is also that of his judgment that those who have done evil, we know from the context this is practiced evil, never surrendered to the lordship of Christ, never received into their account the saving grace of Jesus Always, I'll I'll make it on my own, I'm fine. You know, you pop the collar and you just kind of shrug your shoulder to Jesus. Sorry, it's uncomfortable. (laughs) You know, if you've rejected Jesus, you've bit the lip at Jesus. In Shakespeare, you know, you've wagged the thumb at Jesus. No, Jesus. No, not your way, my way. That is evil. Book of Hebrews says that Unbelief in Jesus is an evil heart. It's wickedness. And those who have not believed in Jesus, those who have practiced evil, those who have done evil, it says here in our text, they will go to a resurrection as well. But a resurrection of condemnation. No one who is not holy will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is incredible stuff, this resurrection that we're speaking of. Just recently, I did a funeral up at Juniper Haven. 
And uh, it was from a lady that we'd shoveled her snow a few years ago, and she remembered us. And when she'd lost her uh, son, she knew who to call. And so she called us, and I went, and I kind of counseled her, and she asked me to do the funeral. And so we're there at Juniper Haven, and I don't know any of these people, you know, and I just start preaching the gospel. I don't know where her son was at. Sometimes that happens. You get called to go do funerals of people that you're like, all right, I'm just glad God's a merciful God and I can just trust him in his grace. But all I can do now is just tell you the truth of who Jesus is and what he's calling us to in salvation in him. And as I'm preaching the gospel, you got to love Prineville weddings and funerals. I don't know if you've been to any one of these. We're talking tank tops, you know, we're talking a sig, you know, we're talking just whatever, come as you are, which is fine. I'm down with that. I never know how to dress when I'm officiating these things, you know, but get there in your suit coat, you take this off as fast as I can and rip my sleeve. What's up? You know, <laughs> step in a dog. Okay. 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 But you know, so as I'm there and I'm preaching the gospel, a cemetery is the best place to preach the gospel. Okay, because you are there, and everyone around you is dead. Okay? And as you're sharing, there's the reality, like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, better is the day to go into the house of mourning than the house of feasting, because it's there that you know your end. Okay? So funerals are great places, because there you can say, this guy thought he'd never die. This lady thought she'd never die. They thought they'd live forever. Born in 1850, born in 1917, died in 1920, died in 1963, you know. Everyone thinks they're going to live forever, as John Bon Jovi said. But the truth is there all around. No one lives forever. Everyone perishes lest the Lord tarries. So that's a great place to preach the gospel because death is certain. But the other great reason is because you also get to preach the resurrection, That one day, every body here, and every ash, you know, a little pile of ashes, or or a thing of ashes, help me out here, I don't know, earn! (laughs) You're not earning your keep today, Rory. Okay, even the little ear in the urn, you know, is going to hear his voice, and they will rise. Whether they were Christians and born again, that body, you know, is going to come up out of the ground. And that urn is going to, you know, I don't know exactly. This is, there's a little liberty being taken right now. I don't know if you've noticed. But ashes, the same God that, that brought Adam up out of the dust of the earth is going to take the dust of the ashes and make that body better than new again. And everybody is going to be, everybody. Did you know this about, Christian, did you know this about yourself? You're going to rise from the dead someday. Better than Spielberg, better than Shyamalan. This this is good Hollywood right here, okay guys? Resurrected to stand before the Lord. The sea will give up its dead. Those that have fallen into pits will come up. And they will stand before the Lord. And those who are righteous enter into everlasting life. But did you know this about eternity? That if you have rejected Jesus, you will be resurrected, flesh and bones, for everlasting judgment in the pit of fire 
in hell. The wrath of God will abide on you for all of eternity in the body that you've got now. And so this is a sobering passage. Like Romans says, consider the goodness and the severity of God. This is kind of one of those moments. Like the resurrection. Oh, there's so much good in the resurrection, isn't there? For those who love Jesus and have humbled themselves, they've heard the word of Jesus and they believed it. And that means that they heard, you are a sinner, you are filthy and trashy and your best work on your best day is like a filthy menstrual rag, to quote Isaiah. That's offensive, but it's true. And for those that are humble enough to say, that's me, my best work on my best day, that's me. I need help. Come, Jesus, and help me. He will help, and he will save, and he will transform your heart and your mind and your life, and you will be a new creation in Christ Jesus, and he who the sun sets free is free indeed. But for those who reject, those who rebel, those who say, no, God, as the scriptures say, the fool says in his heart, no, God. And you worship yourself and you go ahead and you worship other people and other ideas of thought. You worship all forms of pleasure and career paths and lifestyle choices that are against the word of God. Consider the severity of God. Because there is a judgment coming your way of biblical proportions. And I'm so thankful that God in his grace brought you here today. It is like, you wonder if God loves you? God brought you here today. So that you could do what the scripture says. Uh, where was it? It was in verse. What we started with today. 24. Because today you hear his words. And you have an opportunity to believe. You have an opportunity to believe. And that, that's a tricky thing right there. And the best I can tell you today, if, if you're just like, I don't know. Then just right now, like a little baby kid, child, say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me to believe right now. How can I believe this? Help me to believe. Cry out to the Lord. He is rich to all who call upon him. Help me to believe right now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The resurrection of Jesus, it's so good. The resurrection, I should say, yes, the Jesus, that's good. That's the first fruits though. The resurrection of the saints. It's so good. So exciting. Maybe in your own time, maybe this afternoon, you would read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just a beautiful text about uh, the resurrection of the saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the resurrection of the saints. So good. So exciting. Something to really anticipate, Christians. But also consider how the resurrection of mankind, of fallen humanity, is so severe. It's so severe. It's a necessary severity. 
Because God, who is just, will judge sinners. And what that ought to do in us is make us cry out for our friends and neighbors and family to be saved. That ought to just put a little fire in our soul to cross the street and share the gospel with our neighbor. To cross the office, to go across the classroom and to open up our mouths and to tell the gospel of Jesus. There's hope in him. The severity of Jesus ought to move us to evangelism. So that those friends that are in that category of those who've done evil to everlasting judgment, that could be tipped by God's grace. And he can make them righteous for everlasting life. Amen.